We bought a Christmas tree the, the day after Thanksgiving, so it's been a while. And uh, just earlier this week, realized that we'd set it right next to the, the heater where the vent comes out. And uh, we couldn't figure it out, but we dried the whole thing out pretty bad. And so earlier this week, I, I realized that if you do this, this pop to the branch, suddenly the needles were all gone on that one little branch. And um, so I showed the, the kids that they could do that as well, and to Laura's uh, dismay, it proved to be absolutely irresistible to us until we had removed just about every last needle on that tree. Um, <clears throat> completely, it, it is just a naked Christmas tree, and so finally yesterday we, we threw it out. It's still, what, five days till Christmas, and our tree uh, we, we put out. And for some reason, someone took it. I don't know if it's hard to find trees right now, but it was not out there this morning. Um, if anyone knows what in the world someone's going to do with that, Travis might make bonfires out of it, but other than that, I can't think of it. And uh, so it's kind of this sadness that the tree is gone, but, but the reality is it's, it's fine. Um, since this week, we are celebrating the historical truth that Jesus Christ was born, uh, so he could one day save us from our sins. And, uh, and so it's, it's part of it, you know, as we go through this week, I want you to remember that things may not go as, as planned this week, not as expected. Uh, the gifts that are given and received might disappoint. Um, time with extended family might be frustrating. Travel plans might not go the way we expect. Uh, so prepare yourself this week uh, to enjoy the truth of the gospel, uh, to, enjoy, and to enjoy just the, the reality that Christ has come and, uh, and lived and, and died for our sins. Uh, no matter what happens this week, uh, it's not to say, you know, enjoy the gift of life, enjoy family and, and friends and faith, no matter what we face this week. Uh, so I, I hope our, our focus today, though, this focus on, on the Advent, which just means the coming of our Savior, is going to help you really, really start off and, and keep that focus this week to be thankful for, for all that God is for us in the gospel. Uh, if you haven't figured it out, though, today our, we are taking a break from Acts. Uh, we're going to pick it back up next year. And uh, January will be in chapter 9. But grab your Bibles. Uh, if you don't have one, you can pull one right out of the pew in front of you. I hope, I think so. Uh, we got a wonderful passage today. We're in John 1, 14 through 18 officially. That's the part we're going to really look at. Uh, but I want to go back and read chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It really sets the context. You'll see some phrases in there. Uh, they're going to make a lot more sense if, once we get there. Uh, so John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Not, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the incarnation, for your sending Christ to, to live as a man so that you could accomplish the plan of salvation laid out before a single man or woman or child even existed. Help us this day to, to not imagine you in cartoon, but to understand that the, the birth of Jesus was real and, and similar to the birth of every one of us, and yet completely unique in splendor. In other words, God, help us to understand the word made flesh. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what do you think of when you, when you think about Christmas? I don't just mean presents and trees, but, but how do you even picture the birth of, of Christ in regards to, to Christmas? Uh, you know, even your children. Uh, I mentioned it in the prayer, but do you, do you picture this as some cartoon, since most of the examples you've seen in your life are that way? Do you imagine animals in, in a manger scene? Uh, is that how you see it? Uh, and it's fine. I mean, it's fine to, to do so. That's certainly what we see in, uh, in the Gospels. It's also what we put on the front of our bulletin this week. You can see that picture. Uh, those are historical details about the birth of Christ. Uh, details which are, as I mentioned, revealed in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. But today, though, in the Gospel of John, we're going to see the birth of Christ from a different angle. And I don't know if you realize it, but, but the text we just read, uh, in it there is no mention of Mary or, Jesus, or Joseph. There are no angels. There are no shepherds, no animals at all. Uh, no stars. There are no wise men. Uh, wise men bringing weird baby gifts. They weren't good at that. Uh, Bethlehem's not spoken of. There is no mention of an inn, no mention of a manger. In fact, there's not even a baby mentioned in this passage. And on some level, I, I think it's hard to believe that we can look at this, that we can see God's revelation in his word here, and even talk about Christmas without any of those things being mentioned. On, on some level, you kind of think, well, you know, what's, what's left? Uh, the name Jesus is there. It's mentioned in the text, right? So we got that going. Um, but while the name Jesus is very significant, it's not really unique. I don't know if you, you realize that, but, but last year alone, there were over 4,000 children born in the United States whose parents named them Jesus. Most of them pronounce it Jesus. <laughs> but, I mean, it's even more popular in Mexico. And so our, our text then doesn't mention uh, any of these familiar aspects of Christmas. Uh, and yet, we've chosen it as a text to look at Christmas. Uh, why? We chose it because it gives us a look at Christmas from a different angel, a different angle. It's a look at Christmas from, from more of a theological view as opposed to just a historical view. Uh, it is historical. Uh, really, what we see in this text is the most important aspect of Christmas, and that's why we've chosen this text. Because mangers and, and angels, those are beautiful details. 
Uh, they're part of this glorious story, and they should be, be part of the story when it's told. But, but this, this text we're looking at today, this is the foundational stuff that tells us why any of that even matters. In a sense, it's, it's similar to the Christmas tree I mentioned earlier. See, without the needles, it, it looks very unfamiliar. Um, it's lacking the decoration. There's some, some aspect of beauty that seems to be lacking when, when we looked at it. But, but this year, looking at this tree, by the end of it, we were able to, to see what it looked like without the, without the needles. We were able to see the structure beneath it. Um, and that's what we're seeing here. You know, As we saw there, what it is that makes a tree an actual tree and the structure. Here in John 1, 14 through 18, we see the structure underneath it all. This, this is the Christmas story. It's written by John the Apostle. You might remember uh, John knew Jesus better than any other human being before the resurrection. Uh, he was very close to Christ. Uh, and we're going to see that in this. Uh, so let's, let's look at this text. I want to show you three things. I didn't get in the outline. Uh, I didn't get any outline in there. You just have a blank spot. Uh, but these three glorious truths from this text are what we're going to look at. Number one, that God became flesh. Number two, which sounds very similar to number one. The invisible has become visible. And number three, in Jesus we have received grace upon grace and all that that means. Uh, so let's just start with Jesus, uh, with God has become flesh. That phrase is almost too familiar to us. Uh, and the danger then is when things become so familiar to us, they, we seem to lose the significance of what they mean. If you look at verse 14, um, you can read there, you see, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So to really get the force of that, you've got to go back to John 1.1, 1, 1, which is why we read it. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, the Word, Word, it's hard to actually say that out loud, that makes any sense, but the, the, the Word, Word, uh, is a reference to Jesus here. It's one of those things you pick up on pretty quick. Uh, and again, remember, this is the Apostle John writing, and he is using this term for Jesus because he had come to know that the words of Christ were the truth of God. Um, and it's a statement here about the authority of who Jesus is. Um, and so verse 1 really could be understood of saying this, In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. See, there's something very, very unique about Jesus. You know, each of us came into existence at, at one moment, at the moment of conception, right? Uh, and we have no prior existence. Uh, you didn't exist before that moment. And yet, long before Jesus was being formed in Mary's womb, he actually existed. No other child born can say that. And in fact, Jesus was there when creation began, uh, and from this, we see that Jesus was with God, so we know that he is a distinct person in the Godhead. It also says that Jesus was God, and so we know that he is fully, completely divine. And, and this, you know, you, you think about these things and you hear them, and it's really the kind of thing that almost melts your brain. When you start to realize, okay, I am finite, I am human, my brain cannot handle this, I cannot make sense out of this. Um, that Jesus is God, and yet distinct from God the Father. And yet, that's what he reveals about himself in the Scriptures. In the year 325, the, the Nicene Creed was written. And it was written to make clear that Jesus, 
and God the Father are the same substance, which again is just one of those fuzzy words that's hard to make sense out of. Uh, the portion of the Nicene Creed says this, We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. And listen to this, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. It goes on, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. This is very different than every other father-son relationship in the world. In case you didn't realize that. Um, see, there was a time when I existed and my son Beckham did not exist. Uh, that's kind of how we tend to think of the father-son relationship. And, and yet, when we're talking about God the Father... And Jesus, who is God the Son, there was never a single moment that God the Father existed and Jesus did not. Uh, it's the same for the Holy Spirit as well. The Trinity has always existed. And again, your mind is melting when you hear these kind of things. It is difficult to make sense out of. Um, but even as a baby then, and, and as a child, and, and as a grown man, Jesus remains divine, God. Um, John MacArthur puts it this way. He says, this is the mystery of the word. That the word became man and did not cease to be God. And there is a mystery there. You know, it's one of those things you just got to understand that it makes sense to God. And someday, God willing, in eternity, it'll make absolute sense to us. But we take God at his word here. Uh, do you really understand how amazing this is, though? I mean, think about this. God is perfect. He has the power to create the entire universe from his mere words. You know, let there be light and poof, light. And yet here God becomes a human being. He becomes one of his very own creations. In fact, I sat for a long time trying to think, what is the comparison to this? I mean, it's difficult to even find an analogy that makes any sense. The best I've been able to come up with is, uh, at least the closest thing is to think of a, a programmer. That if a programmer could place himself into the very video game that he's making, uh, or that he has made, and I don't mean put a character like him in there. I mean actually place himself in the game so that he's no longer on the outside looking in on the game, but as part of it, um, just like one of the characters that he had created. And I'm sure that breaks down at some point, but that's the closest I've been able to get. That's, that's what God has really done. That's how God fulfills the promise to send a Messiah to rescue his people. Okay, so I want you to look again at verse 14 there. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, there's an interesting aspect. That word, uh, again with the word thing, but the word that we read here is dwelt. We don't really use that word very often. Like I, I once dwelt in Texas. Like it's not a word we use. But uh, we read it here as, as, as dwelt. It's a Greek word that literally means to pitch a tent. It's a dangerous phrase if you've ever seen the internet. Um, to pitch a tent, to take the poles and the fabric and the setup um, and then set up a place to live, which means this could literally be read as the word became flesh and pitched his tent among us. See, at, at first when I read that, I thought uh, it was kind of a disappointing idea because I thought that means God dwells with us temporarily. Uh, it's just a short little thing he does. And, and yet, really, this term, though, is often used for eternal dwellings. And, and, and for instance, Re uh, Revelation 21.3, the same word is used there, actually twice. 
um, looking forward to God's eternal presence with us. It reads, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. That's pitch a tent again. Um, And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And so the emphasis here uh, of God pitching his tent is not that God is going to live with man just temporarily, as if it's just a small little aspect, but rather that he will live in closeness to man. Um, I actually had a similar experience to this. My freshman year in college, I, I lived in the dorm. That's what I paid for. But seven of my best friends lived in a house just off a of campus. Um, and so at one point, since I wanted to spend more time with them, I actually pitched a tent in their backyard. Uh, I lived there for probably a, a month. It wasn't normal in the sense that it was set up like a dorm room. I had electricity and lights and a TV and all the things you need in a dorm room crammed into this little tent. And as goofy as it was... The whole purpose was to be close to these friends, to, to be in their presence as, as close as I could, dwelling with them. And when Jesus became, the man, became man, he, he pitched his tent among us so that we could be, he could be close to us, and ultimately so that he could be like us, except perfect, so that he could redeem us from our sin. So I want you to understand, though, that, that Jesus didn't just look like a man. I know these things get confusing sometimes. So that he didn't just look like a man, but he actually became a man. He had real flesh. You know, you can feel your own flesh. That was Jesus. That is Jesus. Real heart beating blood, real blood through his veins, his real veins. And he felt feet, or he felt pain in his feet after walking long distances, just like the apostles would, just like Mary and Martha would have, just like you and I will when we walk long distances. And, and, and really just try to understand the humanity of this. His, his birth was messy like every other human birth. As a baby, Jesus would have, uh, you know, Jesus our Savior would have cried milk he would have nursed at his mother's breast he would have had to learn to walk and learn to speak and read greek and hebrew um, uh, the languages of the time just like the other children so try for a moment then just to get your head around the magnitude of this event this moment in history that god the only god the god who created the sun and the stars and the earth that we are now sitting upon or standing upon this god willingly made himself a man you realize that at one point in time, God became a single cell in the womb of Mary. The all-powerful became a powerless zygote in Mary's womb. Why? So that he could redeem us. That's love. You know, the world has never seen love like this before or since. Love of that magnitude. And then in verse 15, we, we read this testimony there from John the Baptist, right? You remember, John the Baptist was a cousin of Jesus. That seems a little weird to us at times. Uh, he's older in the sense that he was born before Jesus. Um, but he makes it very clear that Jesus is more important than him first, ranking higher, and that Jesus existed before him because John was simply a man like any of us, while Jesus has always existed and then became a man. And that leads us to our next significant result of the birth of Christ that we see here, that in this event, the invisible has become visible. We might ask the question, you know, what does God look like? Unfortunately, we've got a lot of paintings of people trying to make answers of that. He always looks just like us, right? 
Um, but you know, you ask this question, is he tall, is he short, is he skinny, is he fat, is he white or black or Norwegian, whatever. Um, you know, we don't know. And we don't know because God is a, a spirit, and as such, he is invisible. Uh, verse 18 is very clear, telling us that no one has ever seen God. In 1 Timothy 1.17, we read something similar. It says, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, five chapters later in 1 Timothy 6.16, we, we see again that no one has ever seen God. Even in the children's catechism. How many of you learned the children's catechism at one point? Uh, you remember question nine, what is God? Uh, the answer, any of you know it? Maybe. God is a spirit and does not have a body like men. Um, we did that with our older two when they were younger. We should probably do it for our third one. But I told you, the youngest always gets left out of everything, right? Yeah, uh, little Sadie used to give the answer to almost every question with uh, by loving him and doing what he commands, no matter what you asked her. Um, so it worked all right. Uh, but here's the thing that all changes with Jesus, right? God is a spirit. God is invisible. But, but for the first time in Christ, we were able to see God. So we ask this question, you want to know what God looks like, we look to Jesus. You, not physically, right? There's something to be said that, that God sends his son at an age when there are no cameras, so that none of us can relate to him simply by our ethnicity. And from what we know, you would not relate to him by your ethnicity. Um, but if you want to know what God thinks, you look to the word and you see what Jesus thinks. You want to know God's plan of redemption, you look to Jesus because Jesus is God's plan of redemption. You see, Jesus reveals God to us. And Jesus, the invisible, became visible in a way that is absolutely, has no comparable analogy at all. I thought about that one, I came up with nothing. Uh, we probably should be more in awe when we read this. When we read things like Colossians 1.19, that in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Uh, or a few verses earlier in Colossians 1.15, we, we read it earlier. Really, really, this sums it up well when it says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, there's something else that God reveals to us in our passage today. In verse six, uh, 14, we learn that Jesus is full of grace and truth. And a few verses later, something similar, verse 16, we read, uh, what all that means at verse 16. Look at it with me if you got it out with you. Uh, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. See, this is not just theology for theology's sake. Not that any theology should be theology for theology's sake. It's not a, an intellectual exercise. It actually means something. It's telling us that we receive grace upon grace. We receive grace from the hand of God. Which is why the, the incarnation, the story of Christmas, is absolutely necessary if our sin is to be forgiven. That's, that's why here in the Gospel of John, just 11 verses after our passage, when John the Baptist sees Jesus coming towards him, he says this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When we look at the Christmas story, we could say the same thing. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, and that's why the angel, you know, we'll mention angels. In Matthew one twenty one, and the angel's speaking to Joseph, and, and he's trying to explain to him, you know, you're talking to this guy who, who's trying to make sense of the fact that his fiancée, his, 
is pregnant with child and, and trying to explain this to him, uh, what does the, the angel tell him? Uh, why is this baby being born in the Joseph's family? And the angel tells him that Mary will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. When we read in, in verse 16 then, that we receive grace upon grace, the emphasis here is that salvation and the forgiveness of, of God is a gift of God. It's nothing we've earned. It's nothing we deserve. It is the gift of God. And so this week, as, as the church and as the wider culture celebrates Christmas, there's going to be gifts exchanged all over the place, right? Uh, we're going to receive clothes that are going to be going out of style in the next, next 10 years. Uh, Laura and I, every once in a while, are trying to figure out what are we going to be laughing at in 10 years. Uh, the pattern on some pants is the only thing I've come up with. But uh, we'll know in 10 years, right? Our children are going to be receiving toys, toys that are going to mean nothing to them in five years. If you don't believe me, ask them to play with their toys from five years ago. They get bored pretty quick. Um, our technology gifts are going to become obsolete in just a few years. But what won't change is that you and I and everyone else will still be sinners. We're still going to need a Savior. That's the gift of God for his people, the, the gift that never goes out of style, the gift that is meaningful, meaningful from our first birth or first breath until our last breath. It's the gift that never, ever, ever becomes obsolete. So there, there's never been a person like Jesus at all. When we talk about Christmas, we are talking about something very unique. And you know, God incarnate, God made flesh because of his love for his people. I think sometimes we, we forget that. A lot of times, particularly in Reformed circles, we, we tend to understand the theology behind things, and, and we shy away from the emotional aspects of, uh, of something like, like the depth of God's love for us. Um, so I know that when you're listening to preaching before the sermon's over, uh, we often want to know very clearly what the application is. That's a good thing to ask, you know. How does the Word of God change my beliefs? How does the Word of God change our actions or our ethics? Uh, how do I apply this to my life? And with a text like this today, I think the application is simply be amazed. Sometimes it's just stop everything else. Let the reality of this sink in and be amazed. Be amazed that the actual God of the universe became a human baby who grew to be a man and was overwhelmingly rejected by his people before allowing himself to have nails driven through his, his hands so that he could be a sacrifice for their sin, to redeem us, to redeem his people. Be amazed at the love of God for you. I mean, just to think, if, if you could avoid everything he did, even, even from that moment, this, just the idea of the all-powerful in the universe becoming a single cell in his mother's womb. Like, be amazed that the love of God would compel him for that. Uh, there's simply no humility in, in life that we could experience that even compares with what God was willing to do to experience um, for our salvation. See, this, this child whose birth we celebrate this week is the gift that makes all other gifts seem dull in comparison. So I'll, I'll leave it there, you know, be amazed. Be amazed at how deeply God has loved you. Take some time this week to reflect on this, to, to reflect on the love of God for his, his people. 
And I'll tell you this, you know, we, we like to think in, in larger groups, the church, collections, and that's the right way to think about these things. But, but it's, it's good, too, to just think at times, you know, that your own salvation, that God has loved me. God has loved you. Proof, the birth of Christ, the cross of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we have been made your children because you did not withhold your one and only unique Son from us. We thank you not only for coming to dwell among us, but for living perfectly, for revealing yourself to us more fully so that we can not only understand your grace, but rest in your grace. Thank you for enduring childbirth, for all, enduring all sorts of bodily functions. For the emotional pain of rejection, the physical pain of the crucifixion, and all to simply secure salvation for your elect who, who spend so much time failing to appreciate all that you've accomplished for us. Giving us a name, giving us a home, showing us mercy with forgiveness, and, and giving us grace to be counted righteous and filled with your spirit and made holy through the slow process of sanctification. God, thank you for the baby Jesus, who we know as our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.